We continue our study or our sermon series in need of grace where we're looking at all kinds of people who need grace. Really, everybody needs grace. Uh, but sometimes when you say everybody, somehow we opt ourselves out personally. So we're, we're looking at all the specific kinds of people who need grace. We've looked at children. We've looked at fishermen who became the disciples. Uh, we've looked at a, a scholar with a great reputation. We've looked at a woman who's had a bad reputation. And this morning, we're going to look at a soldier. Um, and to get us kind of in, in the spirit of understanding soldiers and uh, people who are engaged in battle, I was curious if anybody here in the room uh, watch war movies. Anybody have an interest in war movies yet? Okay, this, this, you were the most enthusiastic group in terms of saying you liked watching those kinds of films, but we'll see how you compare. What, kind, what, what movies have you watched? What do you appreciate? Just call it out. Braveheart? Braveheart, Apocalypse Now. Yes. Well, Hamburger Hill. Saving Private Ryan. Full Metal Jacket. Who said that? Uh, yeah, Black Hawk Down. This is the first congregation to mention that movie. Or Hogan's Heroes. Kelly's Heroes. Kelly's. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, just because uh, Clint Eastwood is in that movie, right? Yeah. We're going to talk about Clint Eastwood later. Wow, a good, good list, a good list here. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, a comparison of the names that got mentioned between all of us and see what's, what's in common. Um, but uh, if you think about these movies, a lot of these movies, not all of them, but, but many of them, they have some things in common. Uh, first, they, they tend to be male-dominated. You know, war, I guess, is, uh, is, is kind of male-dominated. It's figured, it figures. Uh, they, they generally tend to be R-rated movies because of the violence and the rough language, because that's, that's sort of the picture we have of, of soldiers in battle. They're a rough type. It's a brutal atmosphere. Uh, and uh, we bring this picture of military service into this passage when we hear about the centurion. This, this soldier, um, whether, whether we like it or not, whether it's accurate or not. Again, we're, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 5, and there we meet a Roman centurion. Now, a centurion was a commander of about 80 to 100 men. Why, why it was less than 100, I don't know. I mean, with the name like centurion, you'd think 100 is the right, is, is the right number, but sometimes it was less. And all the pictures that I tried to find of centurions, they, they always make them look like these grim characters, you know, they're just very serious and uh, not very, uh, um, uh, I don't know, not, not very happy expressions on their faces. Uh, the Roman army was organized differently than the U.S. army, but I suppose the, the, the best equivalent to a centurion would be a first lieutenant in the army. And the uh, Roman army was exclusively male. It was forbidden for women to serve in the army. Today, the U.S. military has about 14% women serving on active duty. So even still, our, our minds tend to think more about men and uh, um, that, that kind of rugged exterior. We bring that, that picture of the tough, rugged, manly man, you know, when we think of soldiers, particularly soldiers in battle. You know what I mean by the manly men? No? I think you all have a picture of it. Um, 
And uh, it's a picture that we associate with military, but also some, some jobs that are kind of like military, law enforcement, uh, maybe uh, to very labor-intensive jobs, construction, commercial fishermen, you know, really strong blue-collar kinds of work. We, we think of men like that. We get an image of that rough, rugged type, not so, uh, not so sensitive with the way he uses words uh, kind of personality. Uh, and in today's culture, that picture isn't really always well-received. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's criticized. Uh, we talk about toxic masculinity. Sometimes we criticize the emotionally repressed male. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay, that you, that you know what I'm talking about. Um, maybe, maybe it's accurate, maybe it's not. Maybe it's fair, maybe it's not. But it's the picture we have. And I'll confess that we're going to skew a little bit towards the masculine imagery of all of this. Uh, but I think we all can relate to the idea of wanting to be dominant enough that we don't need help. That we don't need to trust other people to get us out of a pinch. That we have the personal resources to address whatever problems we have. And this morning we're going to see that even a person like that is in need of grace. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. When he, that's Jesus, had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you now and we ask that you would be at work uh, in us, even as you have been with us, as we have sung your praise, as we have prayed you already. Be with us as we submit ourselves to the word. Uh, as, we, as we learn about the centurion, about those who give orders and those who take orders, help us, Lord, follow your lead, follow your commands, that we might become more like Jesus, and therefore more a blessing to the people around us and to the world, and for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, as I've been preaching the past, oh, I guess six months, I've, I've talked a little bit about my family, or maybe a lot about my family, and I'm here to introduce you to yet another member of my family. I want to introduce you, introduce you to James Albert McElroy. That's him in 1929. Uh, uh, Jim McElroy is my maternal grandfather. And I remember granddad as a tall, kindly uh, old man given to laughter. There he is. That's me when I was three years old, uh, and he was already in his 70s. Um, 
uh, he, he, was, uh, he was just a joy to be around. He was always happy. Even at, at, when I graduated college, I, I lived near him um, as he went into a retirement home and, and later into um, uh, a, nursing, uh, a nursing home facility. Uh, and he was losing his memory from dementia. He was the kind of man that uh, he, didn't know who, he didn't know who you were, but he was always happy to see you. When he died in 2000, uh, I was given the opportunity to take some of his personal belongings because of my relationship with him, and I took some of his photo albums, and as I uh, went through those photo albums, I got to know him in a fuller sense, that not only had he been a kindly, jovial man, he was also a manly man. He was a man's man. Uh, James, uh, or Jim as he was called, uh, was born in 1900 in a coal mining town in West Virginia. His father, Jesse, was a coal miner. Uh, his dad died when he was very young of a combination of tuberculosis and black lung. And so my grandfather went to go work in the coal mines uh, to support the family. And he, and he was in the eighth grade. So he left school to help support the family. And he did that for many years, but got laid off uh, when when uh, when 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 the, the coal mining industry began to shrink, it would kind of go through these ebbs and, and flows, and he, he got laid off because he wasn't considered head of family, uh, which wasn't true, but nonetheless, it's what happened to him, and it was probably one of the best things ever happened to him, probably saved his life. And he went into uh, road and bridge construction after that. Um, and uh, it was in those albums that I, just, that I saw his life in construction. He was he would take pictures of the various projects that he uh, had worked on. Um, and uh, he'd have little notes here and there, and you could see some. Sometimes it would just include the name of the bridge, where it was, the year it was built. Sometimes it included the names of the guys on the crew. Uh, but I noticed this one picture. It was uh, uh, the construction of the Clearfield, a bridge in Clearfield County, uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, on the top, you probably can't read it, it had this very interesting, very matter-of-fact note. It said, three men died during this project, and then listed the manners of their deaths. Um, very stoic, very matter-of-fact. A uh, number of other pictures had notes like that. Two men died on this, on this project. One man died on this project, and how they died. Uh, he himself uh, fell through the decking of a bridge, and broke his back. On another project, the cable snapped loose and uh, hit him in the eye and blinded him. Uh, what he did was dangerous. But you would never know that to talk to him. It was just what he did. He just handled it all with a quiet but jovial stoicism. And I got to tell you that uh, I am not like that. I'm not like that at all. And I don't even aspire to be like that. But I admired my grandfather for the strength that he had. And if, you know, if you're a man like that, or really any person of that disp disposition, whether you're a man or a woman, uh, I want to tell you that uh, I admire your strength. But you also need to know that even though you are strong, you need the grace of God. You may not feel like you need anything. Perhaps, perhaps you don't really need a whole lot in this life, but you do need Jesus. And the centurion, who was a leader of men, 
and probably a, a strong person of character, maybe of even physical strength, he knew he needed more than his own resources. He needed Jesus. And so he went to Jesus. And that's what I'm saying to you. Even strong people need grace. So seek it in Jesus Christ. The gospel, sometimes we think it's a complicated thing, but not always. Sometimes it's as simple as that. You need help. Jesus offers it. Uh, The world from my grandfather was a fairly simple place. I don't see the world that way. You know, I'm a person, I'm a, I'm, I'm a contemplative type, and, and I study, and, and I have all these higher degrees, so I see life as very complicated and nuanced. Uh, not, not, my gra- not, not my grandfather, at least not so much. He's, this is the way he saw life. You worked hard, you met your responsibilities to your family, and you thanked the Lord for another day, as well as for the grace to redeem the mistakes that you're making every day. And if you did that, you lived life well. And the centurion probably had a a similar simple view of life. He's a soldier. And there are those who are in charge and there are those who follow. There are those who give orders and there are those who take orders. And he he sort of lives in both worlds. He knows knows both how to give orders and how to take orders. And this leads to a simpler kind of faith. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, sometimes I wish I had a simpler faith. Just straightforward trust Jesus. God is in charge. We follow and we look to his grace to redeem the mistakes. What does that look like, though, for us? What did it look like for the centurion? Well, for the centurion, he acknowledges limitations. We need to acknowledge our limitations and beyond that, our unworthiness. We need to recognize Jesus' authority to speak into our lives and to actually make change and to do things. And then we need to ask Jesus for the grace that we need. Come to him. Jesus, help me. So let's begin with the first of those. We need to recognize our limitations and we need to recognize our unworthiness. Back to the centurion. He's a leader of men. And you don't become a commander of people, lead other people out in the field in battle unless you have some sort of personal strength of character, some sense of grit. You don't get to tell guys, hey, go do this, do this dangerous thing and have them do it unless they respect you. Um, And uh, we can admire that personal strength, that fortitude in other people, but, but, but if we have a good portion of that, it can lead one to believe that we don't need anything or anyone. I got this. I'm in charge. I know what to do. I don't need any help. And the business world can be a lot like this too. Some compensation packages in the professional uh, or or business world follow this philosophy. You eat what you kill. See, some people knew it right off the bat. You eat what you kill. What does that mean? You know, this guy's a lawyer. He doesn't hunt. What, what, What are they talking about? It means you need to go find clients. You need to go find business. You can work here. But we're not going to pay you just to be around. You need to go find business, and then you'll get paid from what that client brings in to the firm or to the company. And when you succeed in that, boy, it it can give you a strong sense of self and the power that you have. Um, It can foster a sense of limitless self-sufficiency. I 
have this. Now, the centurion had a better sense of his limitations. And maybe it was because of what was happening to him, uh, the problem that he faces. It's the illness of a beloved servant. And we know that it was a beloved servant because of the way he talks about the servant. In verse 8, he says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, and I need him to get back to work. Is that what he says? The answer is no. He says he's suffering terribly. He has compassion. He has affection for this servant. And he might be a person of authority. It might be a, a, a person of, of strength. He commands rough and rugged men. He may have won battles, but he has no power over this paralysis. He's helpless in the face of this suffering. And that's a hard moment when we're challenged with the fact that though we are capable, though we are strong, though we are wise, though we are knowledgeable, guess what? It don't matter. We're helpless. I was reading a story uh, written by uh, a pediatrician, Dr. Diane Arnout. She uh, practices medicine in Fort Worth, Texas. She was writing about a case that she had last fall in a checkupnewsroom.com. And she talks about a father coming into uh, her office carrying his young daughter. He says, Diane, Dr. Diane, something is very wrong with Elizabeth. Uh, and she describes this dad carrying her, his daughter into the office like a limp, broken doll. And they quickly go to the ER, they do some examinations, they do an MRI, and a diagnosis comes back, acute, flaccid myelitis. I'm not sure if I'm saying that wrong. Did I get it right, Jesse? Jesse's a pediatrician, he would know. If you don't know what that is, it's the polio-like disease that's starting to spike in the U.S. And if you get that diagnosis as a parent, it is terrifying. Uh, the doctor wrote that the mother, when she was in the ER, came across a doctor who told her flat out what was going on and said that she, your daughter may never walk again. She may need a breathing machine for the rest of her life. She may not live. And there are the doctors, the experts, the people who are trained and save lives on a regular basis. And this is what Dr. Diane wrote about her feeling in the moment. We were waiting to see what would happen to Elizabeth's body. And there was nothing the ICU doctors, the infectious disease doctors, or the neurologists could do to stop this. Steroids, antibiotics, antiviral medications, other forms of therapy, all were deemed useless over the past few years. We were helpless. We all know we have limitations, but boy, we hate the day when we find out what they are. Some of you are very strong people. Maybe you even have what uh, your friends call an indomitable spirit. You know, you're able to take life by the horns. There's problems, and you fix them. And, and that is to be commended, even admired. But we have limits. Being strong doesn't mean you don't need help. Some things we are powerless to change, and we need to acknowledge that. We need to come to grips with that. The centurion came to this place. He's a, he's a person of power, but he can't do anything to save the servant that he loves. And he acknowledges his limitation in that. And in seeking out help, he also acknowledges that he's not entitled 
to help. He's unworthy. Uh, when he talks to Jesus, he says, Lord, I, I'm not worthy to have you even come under my roof. He doesn't think that Jesus owes him anything. And that's a hard moment, too, because we're pretty entitled in America. You know, we, we, come, we, we come across problems. We stand in line at the grocery store, and we see another register that's not being used, and we think, we think we're indignant about it. How, how dare you make me stand in this line when you have another register? Get somebody else to open up that register. We go to the DMV. We hate the wait. There's a problem that needs fixing. Well, there's someone who can fix it, and if you don't fix it, I'm outraged at you. Or maybe sometimes what it is is that we're really afraid that they'll say no. And so we act as if indeed they do owe it to us in hopes we can bully them into giving us what we want when really we're afraid that they'll simply reject us. Here's the thing. When it comes to God and asking things of him, God owes us nothing. Humility is the only proper disposition for a holy God who, who has given us life, but we tend to ignore or spurn. And in our arrogance, we say, uh, God, I got this. I don't need your help. What? God gave us life, and we treat him as if he's optional. God owes us nothing. So we should express humility and an unworthiness when we need his help. Our humility should take the form of asking for the help we need, knowing that he doesn't owe it to us. Centurion acknowledges his limitations. He acknowledges that he's not owed anything. Where is he going to go for help? Well, he goes to Jesus. Why does he do that? Okay, he's a Gentile. He's a Roman. Why go to Jesus? How does he even know about Jesus? Well, the Gospels record that, that Jesus had performed other miracles in that city. Perhaps uh, he had heard of those miracles. Uh, but Jesus has a reputation that precedes him. People know who Jesus is, and they either love him or they hate him. But he hears that Jesus may have the power to restore and so he seeks Jesus out. Jesus doesn't come across him in God's providence. The centurion actively seeks Jesus out. It says in verse five, five, a centurion came forward to him appealing, appealing to Jesus. He believes Jesus can do something. And his faith is so, I want to say simple, but that doesn't really capture it very well. His faith is so pure, that might imply something I don't mean, but it's, it's, it's so single-minded, it's so deep that Jesus is astounded by it. Jesus says, hey, I'll come to your house and we'll do the healing there. Centurion's like, no, no, don't, don't need to do that. Um, I don't deserve that kind of honor and I know the kind of authority you have. You just need to say the word, it says in verse 8. Say, only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. When was the last time you marveled at something? You know what that means? 
where something happens to you and you're just kind of like, well, that's surprising. That's unexpected. Jesus is astounded by the pure, simple faith the centurion has in his power, Jesus' power, to save, to heal. Um, And he tells his followers, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now as before, uh, the centurion doesn't see himself worthy. He doesn't see himself as being entitled to this healing uh, of Jesus even coming under his roof. But he also sees the world through a very simple lens. The centurion is a man under authority. He understands the exercise of power. And Jesus has power. Maybe that's even a little bit controversial. He acknowledges it in a way that's controversial. He's a centurion. His ultimate authority is Caesar, the emperor. But he sees that Jesus is the one with real power. And so he goes to him. He recognizes the truth of Jesus' power and command over the world. And his confidence in Jesus' authority is so profound that he says, Jesus, just say the word and I know it will be done. And Jesus goes, man, my own people don't even have this kind of faith. He acknowledges that the centurion will be the first of many other Gentiles that will, that will come to Jesus and that others who, who claim the name of God, of Yahweh, they're going to be cast out. But he but he acknowledges the centurion's faith and says, okay, it's going to be as you believed. And the servant is healed at that moment. Such a simple faith. Jesus, I need your help. I know you can do it. Just say the word. Now, I'm a trained theologian. Okay, I have lots of higher degrees. And I study these issues. And I spend time with other people who study these issues. And uh, we talk about you know, what is the core of the gospel? What is it that you need? What is the bare minimum you need to affirm to really be uh, a follower of Christ? Books are written about this kind of thing. Do you need to affirm the Trinity? Do you need uh, to affirm the deity of Christ? Do you need to affirm the hypostatic union between the, the human nature of Jesus and the divine nature of Jesus? And I know none of you probably even know what hypostasis is. That's okay. Uh, Tom and I have a running joke about who can mention the hypostatic union of Christ in sermons. So it's one of the reasons I mentioned it. <laughs> Do you need to affirm the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ? Do you even know what it means? And I would say this, that if you do understand what that is saying and you reject it, you're going to have, that's a problem. But you don't need to have some sophisticated knowledge of theology to be a believer in Jesus. The gospel is simply this. You are in profound need of redemption, of forgiveness, of newness of life. And Jesus offers that. Do you trust him for it? Again, I have multiple academic degrees, and my grandfather did not. And I am in no better position to recognize Jesus' authority and importance in my life, my faith is no more profound or sincere than his because of my learning. I am in no less need of Jesus' grace than the centurion is. But I would say this conversely to people in the room who have strength, 
uh, personal character, business clout, personal wealth, whatever it is, it's awesome that you have strength. But you are in no less need of Jesus than anybody else. Will you recognize it in the way you live your life this week? Will you recognize that you need his help in closing the business deal? Or addressing some bad behavior in your house with your children or, or with a spouse? Overcoming a personal challenge, will you look to him or will you rely on your own authority, your own wisdom and say, God, I got this? Recognizing Jesus' authority is the only way forward for us. So what does this look like? How does this manifest itself? What does recognition of Jesus' authority look like? How did it manifest itself in the life of the centurion? Well, he simply asks for the grace that he needs. It's hard to ask for help. At least I find it hard. Maybe it's because I'm a guy. I don't know. Um, GPS now kind of makes this really challenging. But years ago, you know, when a guy is, is lost, what does he do? He keeps going. He's going to figure it out. You just ask for directions. How difficult is it? It's not complicated, but it's so hard. It's so hard. And despite, you know, the current cultural uh, tendency to bag toxic masculinity and, and, and those tendencies, the icon of the manly hero, of the self-sufficient hero persists. A generation before me, 40 years ago, who was the great icon of, 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 of rugged male sufficiency, self-sufficiency? Huh? John Wayne. Okay, we all agree about that. It's all John Wayne. My generation, there's, there's more guys, but I'm, I'm a Clint Eastwood guy. Oh man, I love Clint Eastwood. Josie Wales and and um, you know the, the spaghetti western, the man with no name, and and a lot of other films that that he that he's made. This generation, I guess they got Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio. I, you know that's. <laughs> but we look to these strong. If you saw the Revenant, you might have a little more respect for DiCaprio. But anyway, but and then we have counterpart female heroines as well. Captain Marvel and Sarah Connor from the Terminator series or Furiosa from Mad Max. And in real life, Amelia Earhart. These pictures of the lonely hero who take on long odds with courage and strength. And even if they're doomed to failure, uh, they take it on with a certain stoicism and conviction. This is the right thing to do. And they do it alone. Perhaps because they can't trust anybody else in their quest. You know, many of us admire that spirit. I, I, again, I do. I mean, I, I love Clint Eastwood. But sometimes we admire it to the point of self-hurt. The centurion can see not only his limitations, not just Jesus' authority, but that Jesus has come to bring healing. He, the centurion knows he's undeserving, but his request, his desire matches Jesus' mission. And so he seeks Jesus out and he pleads for help. It says there in verse 5 that he's appealing to him, which is not just an ask. I mean, there's an urgency to it. Jesus, please, please help me. Most of us don't like being there where we have to plead with somebody because it, it means we're in pain. 
I don't like being in pain. Maybe you do. I don't. I don't like whatever heartbreak or, um, or disappointment or whatever it may be that brings me to the place where I'm pleading for someone to help. Who wants to feel that? But the thing is, it's sadly for us as human beings, it's only then that we really see things clearly. We see our limitations and we see what God can do. It's only in those moments that we can grasp faith. There's a song by uh, singer-songwriter Ben Rector, When a Heart Breaks, and he talks about a moment of coming across those limitations. The lyrics go like this. Woke up this morning and I heard the news. Doesn't really explain it, but you, you get it that someone's died. Woke up this morning and I heard the news. I know the pain of a heartbreak. I don't have answers and neither do you. I know the pain of a heartbreak. This isn't easy. This isn't clear. And you don't need Jesus. What he's saying there is like, you're living life great. Well, I don't need God until you're confronted with this uncompromising reality. Maybe you have doubts about Jesus. Uh, I don't know. You know, life's a complicated thing. Maybe it's him, maybe it's not. And you don't need Jesus till you're here. And then the confusion and the doubts you had up and walk away. They walk away when a heart breaks. It's in those moments when you need to plead for help that you really reach out to Jesus. It's only in these moments, there tends to only be in these moments that we let ourselves discover God's power and his faithfulness. Now, I don't mean to apply that uh, when we really believe Jesus, then he's going to give us the healing that, that we want. Sometimes Jesus is doing something greater than, than, than a healing in the moment. But we can trust that God is working for our good and his glory. Are we willing to trust him? Are you willing to make the ask? Are you willing to trust his goodness and his love? To make the appeal. And this doesn't diminish whatever strength you have. It doesn't make you weak. If you have strength, that's good, that's awesome. But you have to recognize it for what it is. It's a servant in the process. It is not your savior. Jesus is your savior. So come to Christ and ask because that's why he came. Now, there's more we could talk about in this passage. We could talk about the centurion's outsider status or the presumption of the religious that just because they're Jews, they're going to be saved. Or we could talk about how Jesus treats this representative of foreign oppression with such kindness. But I wanted to focus this morning on the desire of many of us to be strong enough that we don't need anything. We don't need anyone. We don't need to be vulnerable with other people. And some of us come to church wondering, you know, is this Jesus stuff really for me? I come because my spouse made me came. Eh, it's good for my kids. I like to be connected to other people, so it's a good place to meet people. But Jesus, I don't know that I really need him. Um, you know, we have more of the mindset of uh, another 80s action star, Jesse Ventura, who said that organized religion is for the weak-minded. I don't need it. I don't need that kind of help. To be a manly man or a strong woman you depend on yourself and yourself alone. Now, eventually, if we live in that philosophy, we learn the foolishness of this thinking because we fail. We're not up to it. Life knocks us down. 
And the person that helped me learn that lesson was one of the most manly men I've ever known. My grandfather. I am not like him. Hardly at all. You know, when he was 17, he was working in the coal mines. And when I was 17, I was going off to art school. (laughs) Very different lives. Um, I have a high school degree. I have a college degree. I have a master's degree. I spent half of my professional life on the college campus. My grandfather didn't make it out of the eighth grade. But I admire him because he was strong. And he knew he needed grace. He was not ashamed to seek it out. He was not ashamed to trust it every day of his life. So this week, this day, what will you trust in? Yourself or the grace of God that you desperately need? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word again. And we we do ask that you would impress upon us our need of you. Even if you have blessed us with strength of all kinds, we know that in the end we need you. Open us up to that truth. Open us up to trust you that we might be changed and made more like our Savior. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.